Hello and welcome to the TRK Mailbag. My name is Tom Savage. Hope you're having a good week. Uh, I'm going to just get straight into the questions that I've gotten in over the last couple of days. If you have a question that you would like to send into the TRK Mailbag, you can do so. Info at 3 or you can go to the uh, TRK Mailbag channel on the uh, TRK Secret Club on Discord, which if you're not a member of, you can be. Just literally go to Discord. I think you can just look in your tier benefits on Patreon. You can get straight in there. If you're... Uh, Etsy member, you've bought a digital subscription pack, you can just get on to me uh, uh, on the email and um, I will give you an individual invite for you to get you in there. So uh, it's good. There's lots of manic discussion in there, but some good stuff too. Uh, if you can leave a question in the TRK mailbag there. So um, it's been a busy week. Um, I have been down in Kerry for the last couple of days. It has rained nonstop. So I am pensive. I have a pensive air about me. And one of the biggest questions and one of the biggest topics that I've gotten in over the last couple of days has been, of course, Johnny Sexton. And um, the the ban he received and a lot of takes on what it means, good, bad, or, or whatever. And a lot of people asking my thoughts on it. Um, I haven't really had too many thoughts on it, really. I've, been, I've spoken a bit about it in the TRK Secret Club and, and a small bit on Twitter. But... I wanted to give myself a day or two to have a think about what it means. Um, obviously, if you haven't heard, he has been given a three-game ban, which basically is the entirety of the um, Irish warm-ups for the World Cup. Now, there is a sc- straightaway people here, a guy being banned for um, warm-ups, and first school of thought is that's total bullshit. He should have been banned for a couple of games into the World Cup, and, and so on and so forth. There's two methods of looking at that well three right there are people who are the rival supporters and and rival media of ireland which is basically everyone now which wanted to see the ireland captain out of the world cup pretty much um because one ireland are the number one team in the world it would objectively weaken ireland in a year where we're you know one of the favorites to win the world cup if not the favorites and then uh, you have the fact that Johnny Sexton, in general, is not a very popular guy, which again is is always the case when you're a, a really good player and you're a fellow with a big personality like like Johnny Sexton. Certainly on field, um, you're not going to be popular. So there's going to be a number of people um, from all manner of different unions and you know supporters and media who want you taken down a peg. That's certainly the case here, where I think right at the end the tail end of Johnny Sexton's career where he's been unbelievably sec- uh, successful for Leinster for Ireland since he kind of broke through in 2009 more or less since he became the guy in Ireland in around let's say 2011-2012 um, there's been people who've been wanting him to fail and wanting to take him down a peg he has won everything that there is to, wo- to uh, that there is to win bar maybe uh, get into a semi-final or a final of a World Cup and people like the idea of his own actions taking that away from them so there's that then there are the people who are we'll say irish and there may be monster fans um who have been i suppose terrorized by johnny sexton over the last um 13 or 14 years whatever it is so i think and this could easily go for for connacht and, and ulster but i certainly know that there is a, a groundswell of, of people in, in munster as well who were kind of you know what uh maybe it would be the worst thing in the world if this fella got a bit of a slap um, you know, within reason, you know, um, that's certainly a number of the people out there. Part of me feels that way myself, a small bit, uh, to be honest. But uh, then there's other people then who have the uh, the genuine interest of of, I suppose, the authority is that the word, um, and the, I suppose, the protection for referees and that any ban that was seen to be too lenient to an extent kind of opens up referees for more abuse and and more um negative uh behavior from players from supporters from coaches from for, from whatever um which again i think there is there is merit to that to be honest i think there is and then there are the people the, the fourth group who i didn't mention previously but just remembered now that exists that were always just like eh, this is a thing of nothing uh, that's just Johnny. Uh, it's no big deal. You shouldn't get a ban at all. Um, which, again, there are people who exist there as well. Now, there, there, there's part of this that is 
it does break down like everything in fucking Ireland along provincial lines and I think along you know when you're looking at internationally along country lines and, and stuff like that I think to get yourself into the headspace of the people who would disagree with you if you feel that that Johnny was you know that he wasn't totally out of order that any ban he got is harsh I think I saw, I saw Stephen Ferris writing that this week um, just imagine that Ireland have been beaten in the last year or so by South Africa we'll say twice and they're the favourites coming into the World Cup they're playing very very well they win the rugby championship for example and say see a Khaleesi for the Sharks did what Johnny Sexton did in that Heineken Cup final imagine how you would feel with an opportunity to get an outstanding player a big leader a big you know cog in the wheel uh, of uh, uh, cog in the machine we'll say of, of South African rugby imagine if they were always they were going to be taken out of the rug the rugby world cup by their own actions i think you can see why people are kind of going almost looking to kind of watch the world burn to a certain extent when it comes to this but for me i think the big thing was with this looking at the judgment um one i think three games is probably fair enough i was saying i was thinking myself it'd be four games that you're looking at the warm-ups plus the first game of the world cup that i think would have been i don't think you would have seen a whole lot of complaints about that if that had been um what they would have given him three games again it's a 21 game less so i'm not going to say that it's all oh, it's wildly unfair or, or, or not um not appropriate i think it's in the ballpark of appropriate really looking at things that have happened in the in the past you know i think a lot i've seen a lot of people english people because everybody has their own grievance that they will go to straight away here because a bit like everything in this game really when you don't like something you're kind of going where's the consistency we weren't given this you know consideration when x y and z one of the biggest things i heard was was dylan hartley um was given 11 weeks i think it was and he was taken out of um i think he was taken out of the lions tour at the time i will say that 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 was quite different he called wayne barnes a fucking cheat which is is different from what johnny sexton did um and again I think that Dylan Hartley's record played a part as well he had multiple bans at that point um, so that is all taken into consideration when it comes to these ban recommendations which by the way the EPCR can appeal if they wish as, as can uh, Johnny Sexton and Leinster um, but yeah no, I, I think that to an extent doesn't really hold water but there are there are a few people who've been kind of saying look you know you'd never see the likes of Sia Khaleesi doing this who I used earlier as an example because it's literally impossible to imagine Sia Khaleesi behaving in such a way. Um, if especially if he was a non-player, like, even if he was, like it's it's just very very hard to imagine. Um, my own thoughts on it are that, like I said, three games is probably fair enough. Um, but that it's it's entirely of, of Johnny's own making, which I can when you look at the actual full judgment of it and see exactly what he did and and the context around it and stuff like that. First of all, I will say we've all been at games and I know this because I cover these games where my thoughts are recorded and broadcast to thousands of people you straight away when something goes wrong in a game and you're you know you're raging afterwards you can say any fucking shit I know I have like I've I've been passive aggressive with referees I've done that whole you know uh, oh all we can hope for is consistency kind of stuff but it comes from a salty place and anybody says who haven't that they haven't been salty after a game where the team that they support or they cover has you know has lost stop you are lying it is impossible for that to be the case unless you're not really invested in the game at all I feel anybody who's got any bit of skin in the game at all will have that feeling at some point where you're going well, for fuck's sake you know you, you, I mean you, you, you've been there and I, I think that I can understand Johnny Sexton being fucking pissed off after the game what where he went above and beyond what I think a captain of his country and club should do was getting onto the field and having a cut off the referee and the officials on the field right after the game that to me is where Johnny Sexton's captain head should have stepped in and been like do you know what fuck it just leave it or somebody should have had the authority around him to go Johnny fucking leave it but that's not the way it works in rugby in this country where Johnny is not a law unto himself but to take a big fucking man to go up to Johnny Sexton at that point after a game like that 
and tell him to wind his neck in. That fella would want to be, I'm not even sure who that, maybe Andy Farrell perhaps, maybe. But this is the level of authority that Johnny has. And if you are around this game for any extended period of time, you will hear the Johnny stories uh, of the way he can be when he is in the zone, which can be bordering on intense, which can be unpleasant and not very nice to be around, which is just part and parcel of what Johnny Sexton brings. He drives standards. He is incredibly demanding, but we've seen the way that he deals with, with referees and with players. He's He chirps at them. He's barricading them. He's looking to try and get a result for his team, which is look that that is admirable in a way. But this is an extension of the way that Johnny Sexton has been over the last number of years. You've seen the way he speaks to referees. There's a clip compilation going around of him speaking to was it Craig Evans, I think it is, during a Sharks game where he is. I think if that's any other player, they get a talking to from the referee. They could even get a you know penalty against them for back chat or whatever else, or for, you know have a, have a penalty reversed on him. But Johnny Sexton has a fairly, not a fairly, he has a huge profile in this game. So I think that the idea being that, oh, well, he'd get, get banned for 24 weeks or whatever else. That was always fanciful because it's a World Cup year. I don't think if there if there is no World Cup, we'll say if this happened next season, you know, they might ban John or they might ban him for six weeks or seven games or whatever else because he was retiring anyway. Um, But, you know, I, I think that's, you know there's what people would have wanted ideally as a sort of a punishment not just for this but for Johnny Sexton's teams beating them over the years or for him being unpleasant or for you know, him fucking roaring at Ronan O'Gara or any of those fucking things that have been there over the years um, but then there's the reality of the hearing as well which I think has to take into account the bits and pieces that we saw and now there was a few things that stood out negatively, negatively to me he didn't apologise directly to the people involved to me, that's the first thing you do. If you've gone over the, if you've gone overboard with somebody after a game, like Jacko Paper is a fucking, he's a fucking good rugby man. Is Jacko Paper, whatever you can have your disagreements about his refereeing, whatever. He's a good rugby guy. He's a fellow who I think would one hundred percent understand if you went to him. Look, Jacko, sorry, I was fucking wound up. I said some stupid shit. Sorry, I went over the top there. Sorry for that. Uh, instead Johnny apologised to his counsel and he apologised to the head of the referees that to me I don't know that that doesn't sit right with me first of all I would like had he gone out and reached out to those guys privately himself maybe, maybe he had you know legal advice or whatever else that to me is just again this legalese bullshit talk to them man to man and just go look fucking sorry I was out of I was out of line I'm very sorry you know uh, you know. I, I hope that you know you won't be thinking any, any, any worse of me it, emotions were up whatever you want to say to him and just apologize to the man whatever about the referee or whatever else um that that doesn't sit well with me you know there's some stuff there about him you know his, his young fella being there with him when he's saying this stuff to the to the refs i don't think he was massively abusive in that he wasn't effing and blinding him calling him this that and the other he was upset obviously he was kind of going why can't you know get the big calls right that's a fucking disgrace or whatever else look there are kids at games they hear that in the stands if they're there with their fucking outfilla they'll hear that off their outfilla or people are sitting next to or whatever so I'm not too exercised over that but I suppose the, the, the one of the major questions that I've gotten in is like does this affect Johnny Sexton's legacy and you know I, I think that when, you, when you're talking about legacy for players it's never really how it ends right you know again unless it's wildly good or wildly awful I don't think this is the end for Johnny Sexton Um, now look I think Ireland and Andy Farrell said that he needed those warm up games to get himself up to speed for the World Cup now he won't play in those now he wouldn't have played in all three I'd be surprised if he did I think he would have played 80 minutes across the um, the 240 that were available um, I think he would have, you know, started one, played maybe 40 minutes. He would have done 20 and 20, I think, in the other ones with a combination of Crowley and, and Byrne. He won't get that now, obviously. And he obviously won't get the, the send-off uh, at home that he would have wanted. Although, to be fair, he won a Grand Slam in uh, the Viva Stadium on St. Patrick's weekend. So I think that's, you know, I think that's probably good enough for... You know, I, I mean, not good enough for him, but you know what I mean? I don't think that, that that's... He hasn't missed out completely, if that makes sense. Um, so you have, I suppose you have all of that kind of wrapped up into like 
his legacy I don't, I don't think it's going to affect him long term like I don't think people are going to look back at him and go well great career but tainted there towards the end people will be talking about it now because it's a it's a stick to beat him with and, and Ireland with you know but I, I think that it certainly is unseemly it's not something that I'd want the captain of Ireland to be doing to be honest and I genuinely mean that I think it is counterproductive I think that it was pure hubris from Sexton in that moment of a fella who is used to having everything his own way and a guy who shouldn't really have even been down there you know having to pop off the referees after a game it's unseemly you wouldn't like you saying people have this idea of the likes of Owen Farrell I doubt you'd see him doing that um, I doubt you'd see Sia Khaleesi doing it you wouldn't see Antoine Dupont well no you wouldn't see Sia Khaleesi you wouldn't see Antoine Dupont doing it and, and, and you know when you see your national captain, captain doing it, it, like, it it's disappointing in that regard like you have to back the guy and like Ireland will be better for having Johnny Sexton in the team and yes he will be a bit rusty for Romania where he will almost certainly start which again I think that takes minutes from the likes of Ross Byrne and Jack Crowley who would have been earmarking that game as being one that they could start themselves and uh, you know build up a few minutes in a World Cup for themselves That those now will almost certainly go to Johnny Sexton for 50 minutes or whatever else and then there's Tonga which is a different game as well I think Ireland might try to hide Johnny in that one a small bit um, and then you have the South African game which we'll need Johnny at 100% for and that now is going to be difficult for them to do to ramp him up to that level um, but again he's in the World Cup he's in the squad now so that's what like that. that's objectively a good thing for Ireland Um but at the same time, like I, I, I can see it having a negative effect beyond the ban, if that makes sense. Not that referees will be looking to try and, you know, this is for Jacko and giving a fucking, you know, dodgy penalty or here or there or whatever else. But if it means that there's a few 50-50s, I think they could end up being, you know, 55-45. Do you know what I mean? Where I know they, they didn't like Johnny anyway, but I think when you look at this, when you look at how popular Jacko Paper is as a, as a, as a guy... Um, I'm not sure it's done Ireland any good um, which again is the exact opposite of, of what you want your captain to be doing you want him to be doing good things for Ireland and, and making it easier for Ireland to win games and win trophies and I think that Johnny has done the opposite here through his own hubris and his own lack of control which is look he's been punished for it and I think you know when you do stupid shit and who hasn't done stupid shit in the heat of the moment or they've made bad decisions and you fucked up and you have to take your medicine for it and he's going to take his medicine he won't get that home send off now there's there, there, there is shame involved I think in this where you never admit it you can't admit you can't admit that but this is not being flattering for Johnny Sexton or for Leinster or for Ireland or Irish rugby so you have to take your pelters with that and also the heat that'll come with it as well this is going to last up to the World Cup I feel it's going to be certainly something that's going to be used to to, to put and lever pressure onto Ireland as well um, but you kind of have to take that on the chin that's kind of one of the side effects of it but once he has done his 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 ban you know he's, he's, he's served his punishment for me then that would be the end of it do you know what I mean and he's going to have an opportunity one last chance to end on a, on a massive high there was the Six Nations which was brilliant I 100% know that he would have wanted to finish on a massive high with, with Leinster to win a Heineken Cup uh, to win a trophy somewhere of course he did part, like that's part of the reason why he was so fucked off with the refereeing and, and you know so emotional after the game because of that because they missed out on that moment so yeah no I think that you know I, I understand it I understand the ire that people have that they're pissed off that they feel it's a, it was a cop out and that they bottled it I certainly felt that way myself on Saturday because you know again like I'm a monster guy monster have been beaten by Johnny Sexton teams with him you know snarling and snapping and talking shit the entire time so you want them to get a bit of a slap but when you get cooler heads I'm sure a bit like Johnny after the game you get a bit of a cooler head you go okay fair enough Three, ma- you know, three games is probably fine. Like I said, I probably thought it would be four, but three games isn't that isn't that much of a difference, really. Um, and he's and like he is going to suffer from it. Like he is not going to be at one hundred percent at the World Cup. He is not going to be match sharp. They will try and do it the best they can in training, but there's only so much they can do in training as well. So that's it's far from ideal. It 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 does hurt, even though it doesn't. Oh, like warm up games, people are saying, oh, it's bullshit. Oh, it's Johnny Sexton. He can come straight back in, and you know he's you know come straight back in and and he'll be the same old Johnny to an extent but look he's 38 
He's 38 years of age. Like, he's been out injured since March. This year, he's picked up a dead leg. I think it was against South Africa, and he was out for months. So, like, we're, we're not talking about a hugely durable player here. We're talking about a guy who does need to be run up to full speed, I would think, at this stage in his career. Because, look, he hasn't played. And when you're not playing week to week in this game... Yeah, you get fitter. Yeah, you can put on a bit of extra, you know, a bit of extra bulk or, or trim out whatever you need to do. But there's the collision aspect of it as well. That Johnny has already in in this season started to pull back a little bit from those from those collisions to try and keep out of the range of the fellas who are all trying to fucking smash him and get him off the field. Um. So yeah, he's going to have to go through the you know the hard way on that and he's going to have to do elements of his warm-up games in the world cup itself which again is far from ideal and it does put a bit of it does put a bit of a stink on the on the prep because now they're all they're they're absolutely going to have to with the with the world cup warm-up games coming up they're going to have to build around either burn or crowley and but also give minutes to johnny to keep him in the system as well which means that we're not getting the best prep we can possibly get going into a world cup which complicates things you know, ideally, if Johnny Sexton hadn't lost a run of himself, then he'd be fully fit and available, and you could, you know, build whatever your 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 your, your structure is. Your important games against the bigger opponents in the warm-ups, you start Johnny, you taper off, you bring in, you know, one of the you know one of the backup guys, and you see how they run, and then you can look at well how they perform. Well, okay, we can assign that guy. He'll start maybe against Romania, maybe have Johnny on the bench, or you can maybe start him against Tonga with Ross on the bench or Jack on the bench, whatever you want to do. But now they can't do that, which adds an element of complication to it as well, which, again, uh, is not... If you're somebody who hates Johnny Sexton and wants him to be banned for 24 weeks, that's not going to seem like adequate punishment. But I think when you drill down on it, it does sting, and I think that it is going to make life harder for Sexton and for Ireland. Um, But, you know, the other aspect of it then, which is the, the, the refereeing side of it, I'm not sure if it makes things wildly different or difficult for them because he has been punished. It does sting and there's the shame going around in it now where lads are going to be so reluctant to get back in because of the shame that's being thrown around on Sexton. Now, I don't think you're going to see any of this in the Irish media, but it's certainly going to be a massive talking point in all the other countries and all the other rugby, you know, the likes of South Africa, England, France. It's already a massive conversation topic there. So, look, I, I think that... That discussion and that tangent, I think, is wide of the mark. But, yeah, no, I think it's it's something that 100% could and should have been avoided. And I think that both Ireland and Johnny Sexton can count themselves lucky that the ban wasn't longer. I think, you know, his behaviour around it as well is something I think that needs to rectify for me. Like, I'd love to hear him apologising to the to people involved directly rather than true's counsel. I'd, lo- I'd love to hear that. I think that would go a long way to making life easier for Ireland with referees in the World Cup. Because if he's if he doesn't, and he's not seen to be doing that, they'll be saying, uh, this, guy, this guy's only trying to fucking cheese his way out of a ban. Um, which again, is counterproductive. And again, it's not like referees are going to go, we're going to blow every penalty for you know whoever um, Ireland are playing. But if it means missing out on a 50-50... And it that going the other way, you always need that rub of the green. And a lot of time it can be subconscious. I think it's something that if it can be avoided, it should be avoided. So I'd like to, I'd like to hear that Sexton has made that effort to go up there and apologize to these people. But whether that's in him or not, we'll have to wait and see. And uh, the next questions we've got lined up in the mailbag are pretty much uh, to do with last week's topic, which was Sam Prendergast. I uh, had a number of people getting on to me about the large section of the podcast is dedicated to the numerous questions I've gotten on Sam Prendergast since the uh, uh, Under-20 World Championships. And in, in the meantime, um, Ireland have ended up losing that game, uh, the final against France. Um, and I've had a few questions on Sam Prendergast as well. I've picked this one from uh, Anonymous Mobius because I think it, it kind of fills a lot of what the other questions that, I, that I've gotten on the topic. Um Further to the discussion in the main thread on Sam Prendergast's national or notional ceiling, how is academy intake devi- decided on? Is it on pure performance at underage or are certain role sets and needs identified? I.e., will a province take a punt on a huge second row that might get the game side of things down because they're of a physical profile that's gold dust? Um, yeah, and I think this is p- particularly relevant when it comes to creative players like Sam Prendergast. Um, guys like him will be playing all the way up age grade uh, as well as playing maybe stuff for their club or, or stuff for their school 
where you can get a good idea, relatively speaking, as to their ability. Certainly when it comes to uh, your 10, uh, they will tend to dominate games. Um, they will have big moments. Not only that, but they'll be, they'll be the guy you'll be coming away from the game that you watch mostly talking about. Um, sometimes that can be because of just goal kicking. Um, but you would look at broader skill sets, certainly when it comes to a 10, to see what their, I suppose, to see what their ceiling is. Everybody will have a gimmick. Everybody will have, you know, those one or two things that they do um, that you are trying to, I suppose, develop. Like you would look at a guy like Sam Prendergast. First thing that would stand out would be the length of his boot, uh, how long he can kick the ball, how accurately he can kick the ball, both off the tee and out of hand. That kind of thing straight away would kind of get you noticed. But then you look at stuff like his height him being 6'4", 6'5", the fact his brother's already a pro, that helps. Um, That can give you a good idea as to the physical potential that a guy might have. Um, But then they're looking at, you know, how you perform in certain age-grade games, um, whether you're on the NTS system or the PTS system. Um, And again, I think when it comes to forwards, though, they will they will look at role sets. They will look at your physical profile. And when you're a kind of an outside back, you know, scrum half or we'll say a a fly half, they will look at your skill set more importantly, I would say. Uh, There'll be certain positions like midfield and, and wing where nowadays it's probably good to have a bit of size there as well. But the skill set demands on, on the outside back positions and halfback positions obviously are massive. So that's something that they will look at, you know, fairly strongly. When it comes to forwards, skill set's fairly important as well. But physical profile is probably what they're they're most looking for. Your athletic profile, um, your you know, your height, your like what weight they feel well, well what weight you're playing at now and what weight they feel you might be able to play at in the future as a professional. Um and then look at sp- uh, like position specific stuff. So, if you have um, a young fella who might be, we'll say six three, six four, able to play over one twenty kg, and he wants to play in the front row or can play in the front row, that's a guy they'll give a lot of time to because he has the physical profile that they're looking for, and it's in a fairly low traffic position. Um, not a lot of props and and hookers, like when you see somebody coming through a specialist prop and a specialist hooker especially in low population um playing environments you're thinking well that guy kind of must be good to a certain extent because like if you're kind of popping up on the radar of the nts or the pts or whatever else as a proper hooker like a lot of the time like guys end up landed there like not because they're you know, really good props, for example. It's just that they want to get somebody on the field. So if you've got a guy who's got the size and, and power to play in the front row, good scrummager, we'll say, all that kind of stuff, that's somebody who would get definitely pushed up the line um, because they're in that rare enough position where they've got the physical profile and the willingness and the ability to play as an effective front row forward. That's something that's fairly rare and uh, will get you more consideration, I think. Um, in the second row, they're mainly looking for size these days. Although, like, size can take a number of different forms. Like, for a while back there, I think Munster weren't looking at anybody who was effectively under 6'6 for the second row. Um, because, again, players who are over 6'6, but also who are playing, or like, we'll say, not even players, people who are over 6'6, but who also have the athletic capacity to play rugby are very, very rare. So when you get guys who have that size you try to get them in fairly early. I think Munster did that with Tom O'Hearn. They did that with Owen O'Connor. And like I, th- I think we've yet to see a breakout year from Thomas O'Hearn. But because the second row is such an important position in the game, um, if he does break out in the second row, it won't be a subtle thing. Everybody will know. And I think it's just, um, as you said there, like they're looking now for athletes. So obviously if you're red, red raw and you've got no rugby in you whatsoever, you're going to struggle. But if you're somebody who they feel can be coachable and you feel like they feel they can get you to a level where you can be a passable prof- professional, you can start building on your game then afterwards, they'll take a punt on you. And like the thing is, like it is a punt because uh, all academy deals now are one year rolling deals. So like if you're not hitting your markers during the year, like they let you go at the end of the season. And 
there's no shame in that it's a very tough game it's a very tough game to make it as a professional so they will get you know young players they'll get them in you'll do a year in the academy then they'll assess and you'll move on to the next year a bit like college do you know where you have your first year second year third year but you've got exams you've got markers you've got the hit to move on to the next stage it's pretty much the same for the academy and that goes from like pts to nts where there's mood like there, there's movement between pts and nts like it's not just set in stone where you're into pts and you're always going to be there there are players who have moved up and down uh, on those pts um, markers and who've come out of nowhere to end up on the nts system so as well that then leads you into we'll say what you might call sub academy which essentially is nts where last year guys like brian gleason for example shane mccarthy fellas like that were training with munster uh, a couple of days during the week not 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 full time um but they then would be looked at in training as well so once you're in a stage where you're training with the with the with the senior squad you're generally in a good spot where you're in the place you need to be to get spotted if you're of a certain age but um yeah no i, I think when it comes to um you know identifying a guy like sam prendergast like they've got a lot of of metrics to work with so like they know what the other guys in the system are doing you know so you'll stand out so even a guy like sam prendergast who didn't have a massive uh, school career as far as i'm aware um he will be hitting certain markers he will have certain qualities that they will want to push and get involved at a certain uh, age level and i think it's with richie murphy he would have been involved at the school where Sam Prendergast was was playing as well. So that plays a part where if the coach knows you and is aware of what you're able to do, then obviously you get pushed on to the next level as well. It, it makes it that little bit easier. But like to follow on from that, a lot of the questions were on, you know, after Sam Prendergast's performance in the, the under-20 World Championship final, that people are kind of seeing, who didn't agree with me last week or kind of agreeing this week, and just asking about like some of the questions on what he needs to work on. I think I spoke about it a fair bit last week uh, on what I feel he needs to work on, but I think the biggest thing for him is time. And I think that if he gets that, he can round out all of the issues in his game, really. I think with time, any player can do that um, up to a certain level. I mean, there's certain there's certain markers you'll never hit or that they will always be a kind of a 50-50 for you. Like, I think you look at Ross Byrne, who I think in 2023 right now, is the best version of Ross Byrne that he can be. But would he start for England in the World Cup? Would he start for France? Would he start for South Africa? Oh, that, that, that's an interesting one. Would he? <laughs> they don't, they're not blessed with 10s at the moment there. Would he start for the All Blacks? No. But um, he has maxed out his game ability. He is getting the most out of himself athletically. Um that's about all you can ask for from players and I think with Sam Prendergast he has a higher ceiling I think what people are talking about with him I think again I think there's there's the, the, the need and the want for a Leinster player to be playing a 10 for Ireland and I'm talking about the general media bubble now they want that to be Sam Prendergast they wanted it to be Harry Byrne that's not realistic now they wanted it to be Kieran Frawley that is not realistic now either they were kind of hoping it would be Ross Byrne but I think that he lost a lot of steam in, in that Heineken Cup final so a lot of the attention and the hype went into Sam Prendergast because I think that the idea that there, there would be a 10 for Ireland who would be the guy going forward and it wasn't a Leinster player to some elements of the media is distressing they don't want to think about that so that's where a lot of the hype comes from Sam Prendergast it's a want for him to be further along the road than what he is but you could look at that under 20 um, final and see see where he needs to kind of get up different elements of his game like I think he doesn't necessarily have to turn into you know Bowden Barrett but I think if he went down the line of adding on size and a bit more power to his frame he's a big guy I think you could bring in elements of that he can be a sort of a playmaking midfielder of sorts that he's also playing at, at 10 because his passing is really good like I mean that's not going to degrade um, he's, he doesn't really move all that much when he's passing so again you could look at the way France started piecing up Ireland in, in, in that aspect of the game where that's a work on obviously but I think his own game his own offensive capacity is going to be what will be will like that'll decide what his ultimate ceiling is I think is if he can get himself to a point where he's forcing compressions consistently himself 
and he's able to take advantage of the the screen ball that that Ireland keep giving him at the moment in that under twenty world you know world championship final he wasn't able to take advantage of that um for I think I think France took it away from him but I think that's going to be the the next challenge for him is once people are aware of what he does at senior pro level because that that like that's where he's going now um that would be the next step is can he react to their reaction to him and if he can there's a player there. And uh, I think in the Leinster system, such as it, as it is, it's such a it's such a clean system that he's going to be able to, um, I, I suppose, not run it on autopilot, but it's such a smooth machine. Certainly, it has been. Now, whether that will change in the next season or so, because there's a lot of disruption at Leinster at the moment with um, Goodman is away at the World Cup. Obviously, Lancaster has gone to Racing uh, 92. Uh, you have um, Jacques Nienabar coming in. What will he look to change certain elements of what Leinster do? Who knows? But that's going to be the challenge for him is to, one, adapt to whatever system Leinster are running. If it's the same, if it's different, he's got to show he can adapt to that. Uh, but also adapt to the scouting that will be done on him now almost relentlessly by the opposition who will all have different ideas as to how they can take away elements of his game as an individual. That's going to be the next talent, uh, challenge for him. Uh, this next one is from uh, S Hanley ninety four. Uh, Tom, this might be a silly question, but I've no idea about the rugby transfer market. Um, but Leinster are obviously entering a transition period where will they, they will need to lead on quality uh, non Irish qualified players like uh, Charles Natai. However, will the lack of silverware over the previous seasons and potentially upcoming seasons make them a less attractive team for those players, or ultimately will money do the talking at the end of the day? Uh, money will do the talking at the end of the day. Um, that's the the big driver for most players now obviously there's like buying into the project and stuff as well but it's such a short career that if you have the money to get these guys in and you have a name like I mean Leinster like they haven't won a trophy in the last two years but like as in it would be bizarre to think that they would not win a trophy in the next two years either way like they're still a huge brand and you look at Munster over the last um what was it, 12 years, 13 years, whatever it was from 2011, 12 years, I'm trying to work my maths here, um, where Munster were able to sign RG Snaman and uh, Damien Dielende, Malachi Fekatoa, guys like that, w- without having won something in a number of years, because they were, they were big clubs, and I think that people like this idea of, oh, well, if you don't win trophies, that you're just going to disappear and that, oh, look, there's all this big concern over Munster going to disappear and all this other stuff. And, oh, they ha- none of that really matters. Like, there's the status and the size of the club will often outweigh a trophy that you might have won this season or that season. Like, there are certain teams, we'll say, like Toulon, for example, who haven't won a whole ton of trophy. I mean, they won a, a challenge. Did they win the Challenge Cup last year? But prior to that, like, you're not talking about the same dynasty of teams who are winning the European Champions Cup three years in a row but they're still a big club and they'll still draw they, like, they, they will still draw um, you know fairly big name players where a guy will go there and no one he'll get paid two he'll get looked after and three he'll play the high level rugby that he was kind of signing up to do it's difficult for clubs like we'll say you know um, kind of lower level French teams but if they've got enough money like you look at uh, Pau I think have they, have they signed um, Sam Whitelock coming up for the, for the upcoming season like he is not cheap but that's a very very big name player and and, and power not a massive player on, on the, the national scene or the European scene or even in, in, in France really when it comes to you know looking to the the, the last couple of um, you know when it comes to the knockout games but the money is there he'll be looked after good quality of life you can pretty much you know if you've the money you can pretty much sign whoever you want in this game you look at all the fellas who are moving over to Japan Massive culture shock there, you know, moving to from anywhere else to Japan is, is almost always a big culture shock. The standard rugby is kind of up and down, but like the, you know, the, the, the bank draft clears every month. So oh, look, that's that's the biggest thing, I think. It's, you know, Leinster will certainly, I think they'll they'll need to sign in one or two guys. I would be shocked if uh, Jacques Niedebar came in and, and didn't bring in um, some firepower with him. I'd be I'd be shocked if that happened. Um, but I I think you look at um the next couple of years. I think that, depending on how the ten situation works out, they may look to get somebody in there. 
um they may get dispensation for it because you know there's been sexton is being dug eye there for over a decade so like they may get a dispensation on that but i think it's just um it, they won't have any issue like regardless of, of what their status is, is whether they can afford it or not and that's the that's the big thing like nobody's going to go there on the cheap there's this weird idea that like people who are playing at Leinster are there on the cheap or that they're doing it for less money there are some players younger players who might be getting less than what their market value might be but if you're signing for Leinster like as in they're paying you big money like Jason Jenkins went he's at Leinster for more money than what he was at at Munster Charles Natai is not over there on less money than, he went, than what he was at at Leon. They pay their guys and they pay them well. And as long as they can continue to afford that, um, they will continue to get them. And I think that's the, the big takeaway from it. Uh, this one is from uh, Eugene C. Um, this might be a bit of a multi-parter with Hogg retiring, um, but how much of a loss is he to Scotland? Um, Stuart Hogg, of course, retired um, permanently in the last uh, week or so. Um how much of a loss is he to Scotland for the World Cup? Himself and Russell seemed just as likely to lose the game as win it. Does Blair Kinghorn bring a bit of more stability and maybe the, the glitz, uh, without maybe the glitz that Hogg had? Second, uh, are Scotland at their ceiling with Townsend? He's been in charge since 2017, but they don't seem to have got materially better in that time. They could run a team close and pick up a scalp against the poor tier, tier 1 teams, but in the end they're mid-table in the Six Nations in what's been weak years um, at the Six Nations. Uh, thanks for that question, Eugene. Um, I think when you look at Stuart Hogg, very, very good player at his peak. I don't think he's been that guy for a while now. And, you know, guy saying that his head hasn't been in it, he's had a lot of injuries, body hasn't been doing what he wanted to do. Considering he was so explosive, and he's been actually playing uh, pro rugby for um, so long. Like, he's been playing for so long in, in, the, in, in the pro game. It's actually very, very, like remarkable that he's still playing coming up on on 30 now he had a number of of issues when you look at um injury over the year where he hasn't been able to to i suppose get the body to do the work that he wanted to um but i think when you have the the sort of of contracts that he's had he's had you know big contracts at exeter they needed him to be a big player for them um, being involved in Scotland as well, being a kind of a core player, I think was it was he captain at some point as well uh, of Scotland. You end up continuing to play. You 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 keep playing for a number of years, maybe beyond what would be ideal for yourself because you've got responsibilities. You know, you've got obviously you've got a mortgage. You want to keep getting paid your your you know big rugby player money. You want to keep getting paid and and keep playing and 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 having those big days with Scotland and with Exeter. You won a European Cup with Exeter as well, obviously. Um, but I think for Scotland, it'll be a big loss in that he's a big character. He's a guy who's been heavily involved with Scotland for a number of years. He's a you know a good leader in the group, a good guy. Um, but I think from a quality perspective, I'm not sure that Scotland will be devastated by that loss. I think what Blair Kinghart might give them at fullback is actually a, not maybe not better than Stuart Hogg at his peak, but I think better than Stuart Hogg now. From what I've seen of Blair Kinghorn, he gives you a bit. Of, he gives you a bit of what you might expect off a ten. He's got a good boot. He's a good athlete. Um, maybe not the same player under the high ball, but that's only one part of it. I think if they are able to plug in Blair Kinghorn at fullback, or maybe put in a Darcy Graham or something like that, I think they they would currently get a better player than what um, they've been getting from Stuart Hogg over the last number of years. Through no fault of his own, look, the, some, when the body goes as a back three player, you're just a lesser player for the most part. And, you know, uh, I think that he's had a great career, but I think at the moment, with Kinghorn maybe, or Darcy Graham, whoever they, whoever they want to put back there, maybe even Blair Kinghorn, I think they have a better player and a better fit for what they want to do in, in this upcoming World Cup. And I think looking at um, the the second part of your question there about, about Gregor Townsend, I'm surprised. Well, actually, I'm not surprised. Um, Scotland apparently were making overtures to bring in a different coach um, after the World Cup, but they seem to settle with Gregor Townsend. So, like, I think they understand that they were trying to make a change. Um, I think he's on there for another, another two years, I think. Is it two or three years? One of the two, anyway. Um, they've been competitive. They've won some good games against England. I think they've beaten France in that time as well. 
Um, I, I think if you look at Scotland, like they, they've fallen down on some big games, certainly against Ireland in the last number of years. But I get the feeling with Scotland that there may be one or two players away from a few bounces of the ball going a different way in those big games. Picking up a win against South Africa, we'll say, or, or beating in Australia or New Zealand even. Like, I don't think they're not far away from New Zealand. Like, they were, I think they lasted them there in November, but they were very close for a time there. And it's about getting the player numbers in. And I think that, you know, with Townsend, he plays a, a good offensive style of rugby. Um, I, I think that them being tied to Russell, as you mentioned in the first part there, like that Finn Russell is a genius of a player, I think. But he's very inconsistent, I feel, like where he can be very up and down in games, which like that's almost a cliche in itself. But I look at Rassing and I think, have they looked any more likely to win a trophy with Finn Russell there? And like, will Bath be more likely to win a trophy with Finn Russell at 10? I think they, they'll win more games. But when it comes to the big games and the, 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 the high tension games, not sure if he's the guy to be relying on as good a player as he is which kind of sounds like counterintuitive but um, yeah, I, I think that Townsend has brought Scotland on I think Vern Cotter got him to a very dangerous level they were like they were they were playing very well they, they were a dangerous team but I think with Townsend I think he's got decent ideas as a coach and like you know again as, as a player like it's in some of the shit he pulled like I've, I've got no mad love for Gregor Townsend I think he's a good coach. I think he's a good attack coach. I still think that they need um, a spark from somewhere, maybe a 10. Maybe that's Ben Healy. Maybe it isn't. Um, I think they could, you know, conversely, without having the sort of the fireworks and magic you get from Finn Russell, they may be in a better spot to hurt teams more consistently with somebody like Ben Healy. But again, that's just, again, maybe maybe I'm a a biased monster guy. And I know I'm a biased monster guy. But I think that's kind of conversely the less sparkling attacking player might be a better fit for this Scotland team um, where they can split some of that between we'll say a Ben Healy and a Blair Kinghorn maybe 10 to 15 work with the good, good midfield they have they have good wingers Darcy Graham Duane van der Marve, they have a good midfield look at their their front row is good from what I can see um, they've got a decent second row like serviceable players there uh, certainly at test level back row quality players all the way through there as well like they certainly have the quality and that'll be the thing if they can um, make it work because I think they're only one or two players away but the World Cup obviously will show an awful lot they must be sick to, they must be sick of the sight of Ireland to be fair um, and this one is from Alex Fulton Tom I'd love a roundup on what you think Eddie is planning for the Aussies based on the, on the next couple of games they play um, yeah no I think when you look at Eddie Jones I think he's looking to build as much efficiency and structure into Australia as he possibly can while also not necessarily putting them in a straight jacket creatively I think if you look at um, Australia against uh, South Africa and against Argentina he wants to get them to a stage where they're hurting teams off the set piece they're hurting teams in defensive transition and then killing them on their own transition from that essentially playing counter transition rugby but they're trying to educate themselves on how best to run it they're by default a low cohesion team at the moment where and the thing is I know with Eddie sometimes everybody has this idea where oh Eddie's got a plan and I'm sure he does have a plan but you need wins as well to get you along the way I'm not saying that he's throwing the rugby championship but I think by default when he came in he understood he was going to be behind the eight ball from a time perspective to get the, the like the players that he has up to speed on what he wants them to do but then for them to understand I mean amongst themselves to build up that, that cohesion with each other I think on paper Australia are a very dangerous side and I think that if they can work out what their counter transition plans are and sort out their discipline sort out their line out sort out their scrum which again look that all sounds like it's a massive job but like you can simplify things at the line out I think that their their pack build at the moment is in a, is in a tough spot where they've got uh, they want to get as much size as they can in there which again is always a decent idea at, at test level but the size that they have isn't able to play counter transition rugby to the level that they want it as well so I think counter intuitively 
they might need to go smaller in the pack maybe you're picking Skelton and almost like a half lock build player alongside him rather than getting Skelton and Arnold and having another big dude on the bench that, that Frost guy maybe that's what they'll they'll stumble on maybe they'll start playing Jed Holloway there and build up with a you know a half lock in the in the back row of course but I think that they need slightly less size to make what they're doing with their kicking game work to the level that they want it to but plus you're looking at your discipline and your your set piece errors they've all got to be fixed but I think they can be fixed and relatively quickly as well but it's getting to the stage where you're able to get all that on field and you're playing you know objectively difficult games like you know Argentina are no mugs South Africa in on the high belt is a tough game first out they've got the All Blacks coming up next which is going to be difficult too but I think they'll get the opportunities off the All Blacks that they didn't get off South Africa and they didn't get off Argentina so on paper for me I haven't seen the teams yet that could end up being quite a close game I feel and Australia they just need to just build game to game understand what they're trying to do and the thing is for Eddie like you can't just dunk fellas into the into the boiling water here to understand what you're doing you've got to incrementally layer the information you know one on top of the other until the lads know what they're at it took Ireland what a good year and a bit to move on from what they had been doing under Schmidt Australia don't have that time but I think with the the hothouse nature of this upcoming run of games they have an opportunity to do that I think that they've got the quality there as well so it's going to be an interesting, interesting one an interesting one to see if they can do it so thank you very much I've got another TRK mailbag coming next week uh, I've got space for around four or five more questions again if you'd like to send in those questions you can do so info at kings.com or go to the TRK mailbag channel on the TRK secret club or leave it in a comment under this on Patreon whatever you'd like to do and I'll, I'll include it in next week's mailbag so thank you very much for joining me thank you very much for being a TRK subscriber I will talk to you again very very soon Thank you.